Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. about trust. One of the reasons that we don't have to struggle with trust is because we have been blessed with people that have sacrificed so much. So before I preach this morning, would you give it up for our veterans? Amen. Today's Veterans Day. If you served in any uh, branch of our military, would you just stand real quick? If you served in any branch of our military, would you give them a hand? We're so thankful for you guys and all that you've accomplished and and we're thankful for you. We know one of the reasons that we get to do what we do is because of the sacrifices you've made. Amen? Well, get your dollar out. I know some of you carry dollars still. Not very many. I, w- I could say pull out your debit card. But it doesn't say it on your debit card. On your on your dollar, on your $5, your $10, your $100, your $1,000, on your penny, your nickel, your dime, your quarter, it says it right there on it. In, in green and white on your dollar, in the different colors of your, the metal of your coins, it says, in God we trust, right? It says it right there so that it's a constant reminder that we're supposed to trust in God. But I want to submit to you this morning that we have trust issues. Uh, I, I think it's safe to say that that most of us have some trust issues when it comes down to our finances. And although we're reminded right on our currency that we should have this ability to trust in God, uh, most of the times what I've discovered is that for most of us, we just... We say in blank we trust and we're filling in that blank with so many other things. In my job I trust, in my 401k I trust, in my savings account I trust, in my nice house I trust, but we don't really trust in God. I think I can prove that to you in recent surveys it bears this fact out that we claim trust but we don't practice trust. There's a lot of lip service given to trust, but there's no real expression of trust. For instance, uh, Christians are currently, check this out, are currently giving 2.5% of their income to the church. 2.5. You know what it was during the Great Depression? 3.3. Now let that sink in, because most of us are too young to have experienced the Great Depression, but we know about it from our history books, where everything fell apart, and we began to, to, to lose all of our financial stability in our country. And in a time of great financial distress, people were giving more than they're giving now. Because we put our trust in things other than God. Boy, it got quiet in here all of a sudden. Y'all were all like hyper until... Okay, so I understand. But uh, did you know that 30%, 37% of regular church attendees uh, don't give any money to the church at all? 37% don't give any money at all. I want to say a dirty word this morning, all right? Right in the middle of church, right in front of God and everybody. It's not a four-letter word, but it's a dirty word. Can I? Okay, it's a five-letter word, and the word is audit. All right, an audit, nobody looks forward to an audit, nobody likes an audit, but in financial uh, uh, institutions or in every institution, there is a need that you occasionally do this thing called an audit. It is an examination of your financial situation, your income versus your outflow, to make sure that it all matches up and that everything is good. So there's an accurate assessment of financial situation. And a lot of times, if, if, you don't, if you've never been through one of these, you can ask Teresa or anybody else that deals with finances on a regular basis, I just need to tell you that an audit can be a painful process. 
Okay, see, I knew I probably had a couple of you. And I just need to warn you, it's going to be a little painful in here this morning because I want us to do an audit. I want us to audit our approach. I want us to audit our approach. Do an examination of our approach when it comes to finances. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 6, it says this. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food, for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, so that you can be generous on every occasion so that you can be generous on every occasion. It only says it once, but I'm going to say it three times. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Let me set the scene. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. This is what's taking place. Paul is in Jerusalem. Uh, There's a church in Corinth that has made a promise, a verbal commitment to send an offering to the believers in Jerusalem to help them make, make do and make ends meet. And they have not sent the gift. And Paul is reminding them. He is not, he, he's kind of like, um, he's putting a little, you know, a little digging on them just to remind them that they need to make good on their promise and that they need to give the offering that they've said that they would good, would give. So, the, the statement is right here. He says he reminds them that if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Then he goes on to say that God in response to abundant and cheerful giving will increase your supply so that you will continue to grow in your financial situation to the point, check this out, where you have the ability to be generous in every situation. That is the intent of this entire series right there. This, the, the series, I know what we get it twisted when we come to church and people start talking about money. We think the church is just trying to get all of our money. That is not the intent of the series. This series is an attempt not to get something from you, but to get something to you. I, I want you to get to the place where you are so blessed that you will be able to be generous on every occasion. Anybody else want to be blessed to the point that every time you're challenged to give, you can generously give, all right? Only six of you, all right? The rest of you don't really care whether you're blessed or not, all right? So, all right, well, we know where we stand then. Uh, so, 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 if that's true, if the six of you that want to be blessed, if that's true, then we've got to learn some things. Number one, we've got to learn that we will not see what we do not sow. Because a lot of us, even if you didn't raise your hand, will attest to, to the fact that you want to be blessed so that you can be generous. Not just make ends meet so you can be generous. But Paul says that you, if you don't sow, you don't reap. You will not reap what you don't sow. You will not see what you don't sow. And then he goes on and he says, this, he says it like this. In this passage he said, whoever sows sparingly, you will sparingly reap. So my question then this morning is, what is sparingly? 
Because I'm kind of a bottom line kind of guy. So I need you to give me like bottom line. How much do I have to give to break out of the bracket of sparingly? What? Come on, explain it to me, preacher. How much exactly do I have to give out of my regular income or when I get paid on Friday? How much of Friday's check do I need to give so that I no longer fall into that sparingly category so that then God will bless me? Come on, give me bottom line. Okay, well, maybe. Maybe not. We're going to get there. Because I, I want to suggest to you that sparingly has nothing to do with amount. It has everything to do with approach. If you don't believe that, then go read in the New Testament where Jesus has an encounter with a, a, a lady that walks into a, a, a service, some, something like this, and they did their offerings a little bit different. Maybe we ought to do our offerings the way they did them. They, took, they made you come right out in front of everybody and give your offering so everybody could see. She walks up to the offering when it's her turn, and she puts in two mites. Two mites. So he, and, and then the Scripture says that Jesus marveled at her generosity, even though the amount was laughable. Because it doesn't have anything to do with the amount. It had everything to do with the approach. How she approached God. I want to drill down on our approach this morning. Because my concern is, is that what we do when it comes to giving to God, we have a tendency, if, we, if somebody doesn't challenge us to stop and think about our approach, then what we do is we, operate, we begin to operate on, on what can we, how little can we get by with. What's the bottom line that I can get away with? We don't drift towards generosity generally. generally. We have to be challenged. And so, I want us to notice a couple of things. I, I think I can make that a, a assertion because uh, so many people waffle and they resist the concept of a tithe. Um, and, and don't get hung up on, on, on that concept because I'm going to come back and challenge that concept here in a second. Because it's about approach. It's not about amount. Um, the, the tithe first appears in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, the concept is, is that uh, people would bring their first fruits and they would make an offering back to God out of their, their gratitude for God's faithfulness to them. In the Old Testament, the only people that had to pay tithes were property owners. Uh, they brought their first fruits, all right? So the, the, the idea now that we brought it to in this day, and I'll come back to the Old Testament in, in a minute, is this. Okay, so I got 10 $1 bills here, right? So we say, all right, God has blessed me with the ability and the, and the skill and the time necessary to go and earn $10, right? 10 $1 bills. Uh, and, and so what we say is that now in the New Testament church, we talk about 10%. It's a tithe. So we operate like this. I will give the first fruits. $1 out of what I made leaves me nine. Me understanding this, that when I give this to God, the very first thing I do is I give my $1 to God out of my 10, is that now God will turn around and bless my nine so that I am able to live better on the nine than I could if I had the ten. All right? So, so that's, that's the concept. That's the type. But I want us to back up a minute. And because I always hear this resistance when it comes to this concept of tithing. Because we want to say, well, that was an Old Testament concept. And we're New Testament. And we ain't operating on that, all that Old Testament stuff. We're not under the law. We're under the grace. So we don't want to tithe. I don't have to tithe. I'm in the New Testament. All right. Let's back up then. Let's talk about the tithe in the New Testament. Because here's some truths you need to understand. First of all, Jesus clearly states that we should tithe. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't address tithe. He absolutely in black and white, well in red, addresses tithe.
tithing. There's no way to get around it. You can find it in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, when he says this. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites? For you are, care- listen, you are careful to tithe even the, fu- the, the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should, and in, in some versions it says you ought, you should tithe, yes, But do not neglect the more important things. So Jesus is saying that there are actually more important things than tithing. Law and mercy and justice. Those are more important than tithing. But I want you to notice that just because he says there's more important things does not mean that he dismisses the necessity to tithe. He says you ought to do this. Now let me ask you some questions. If I stood up here and said that Jesus said we ought to love our neighbors, you would all say... Amen. And we should. Well, okay, see, y'all know I'm setting you up. So uh, uh, if, you, if I stood up here and say, Jesus says and teaches, you ought to forgive those that treat you wrong, we would all say, Amen. Okay. <laughs> uh, but then all of a sudden, Jesus says, you ought to tithe, and we automatically want to go, that's an Old Testament principle. We don't have to do that one. Why? Because we have trust issues. We want to simply ignore what is not convenient or comfortable for us. And it's tangible. That's the other problem. When I stand up here and say, Jesus says we ought to love your neighbor. We all go, amen, because it's not very tangible. It's some abstract concept that we can kind of go out there and figure out how to do on our own. When I say we ought to forgive people, that's kind of abstract. How do I know if you forgave somebody? But when I stand up here and say, Jesus said you ought to pay your tithes. Well, that's tangible because I've got all your giving statements right here. We've printed them out. We're going to hand them. No, I'm playing. It's tangible. We can see whether you believe what Jesus said. Okay, so... So he clearly states it. He does not dismiss the Old Testament te- the principle. So here's the, here's the truth that we need to understand. Jesus changes the bare minimum. Okay, let me see if I can explain. In the Old Testament, did you know that tithing was not 10%? It was 23%. You can go do it. I'm not a very good mathematician. I, I proved that last week when I tried to add numbers on the fly. It wasn't pretty. There was carnage everywhere, all right? Uh, second service, couldn't even get it right, all right? So, so, uh, but in the Old Testament, guys that are smarter than me have sat down and figured out that it actually came out to 23% of what you took in. You were supposed to turn around and give back, okay, in thankfulness to God. But in the New Testament, because we say we're New Testament, so let's fast forward to New Testament, and let's be New Testament people, because what I can want to contend to you is that in the New Testament, we are not bound by the law, we are bound by grace. The only problem is, is that Jesus changes the bare minimum and calls us to an entirely different level of giving. Even different than the one that we ascribe to now. Even different than the one we are somewhat comfortable with now. Jesus goes above and beyond that and changes the bare minimum to, to the place that he gets to this level of giving. It's found in Matthew chapter nineteen twenty nine when he says, Everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my name's sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will re- inherit eternal life. It wasn't if you give these things, Jesus makes the assumption that now in the New Testament the, child, the, the, the standard has been changed to now we give everything. I knew it would get all quiet up in here because 
Jesus is asserting that the, the standard in the New Testament is not 10%. The standard is 100%. So the New Testament standard is higher than the Old Testament standard. So if, if uh, your contention is that you are no longer an Old Testament believer, you're a New Testament believer, then by all means, please come up to the New Testament standard. Please. I'm... I, Accept the challenge that Jesus gives us and move up in your standard of giving because remember what we said last week, God blesses us not to increase our standard of living but to increase our standard of giving. So come on up to the New Testament standard which is 100%. That's what the disciples did. I read it to you week after week in the simple series. I read it out out of Acts chapter 2 verse 44 and 45. I never talked about it because I knew I was going to come back to it. It says this, And all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. That's how the disciples lived in the New Testament. But we want to argue over 10% when the standard is 100%. Okay. So uh, I want you to notice that all the needs were met. All the needs were met. Because they had a different approach to giving. I want you to understand that our problem is not with 10%. That is not our problem. Our problem is obedience. Our problem is not turning around and giving $1 out of every 10 to God. Our problem is with selfishness. Our problem is not 10%. Our problem is that we are so consumed with materialistic things that we can't give them up because we've replaced God with them. And we lack gratitude. I want, you to t- I want to tell you this morning that our struggle is with our approach. So for too many of us, then, what we've done is we've adopted this mentality of let's get by with as little as absolutely necessary. So now, the result is is that uh, when, when somebody starts talking about tithe, we treat tithe like a tax. Oh, I got to pay this. I don't want to pay it, but I got to because, you know, it's time to tithe. And I don't really want to do it, but, but God, here it is. Take your, take your measly dollar. I, I, and we treat tithing like a tax. We, t- we, we, we treat God like he's the IRS. I don't want to give it to you. I'll hide it. In fact, I'll hide it if I can. Okay, so it's treated like it's optional rather than an opportunity. It's treated like a penalty rather than a privilege. See, I am convinced of this. If our approach changes, then we will realize this truth right here. We don't have to give. We get to give. Out of, a, out of a different approach. So thankful for what he's done. And recognizing that really the truth is this. I don't owe him a dollar. I owe it all. Everything is his. I ought to lay it all on the altar. And then, and then if he, he chooses to give me some back, then we'll operate like that. Because I am so thankful for what he's done in my life. And I recognize that every good and gift, perfect gift comes from heaven above. Everything I have is his. So I offer it all. It's a different approach. Uh, it's not about 10%. About my approach to God. Oh, by the way, New Testament believers struggled with it too. In Acts chapter 4, there's a, a, a passage that reads this. It says, um, 
It's a reassertion of the fact that they gave everything. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Sounds great. Till you get to Acts chapter 5. Because in Acts chapter 5, there was this guy and this girl by the name of Ananias and Sapphira that went out and sold a piece of property. And then they put on a show. They bring an offering... Nobody asked them to bring it, but they wanted to match up to what everybody else did, so they bring an offering. The only dilemma was, was that they didn't give 100%. They gave a portion of it, and then they kept some of it for themselves. Right? They act like they're being obedient, but they weren't. And the Bible says that God killed them right in front of everybody. Okay, so we're going to take up offering right now. Okay, now. He kills them right there in front of everybody. So I started asking some questions. Why? Was the amount they gave too small? Was the amount, maybe God needed 100% and they only gave him like 99. Was that the issue? No, the issue was their approach. The issue was not about the amount. It was about the fact that they struggled with obedience and they were trying to pose and act like something they weren't. And it was all about how they approached with their offering. So, I have a question then. I want to ask you this question in regards to your giving this morning. I don't want to ask you how much you give. That is not the question. My question is, is whether you are giving at the bare minimum of 10% or if you're reaching towards the New Testament standard of 100%, doesn't really matter. My question to you is about the approach. I want us to take a different approach to our giving. I want us to come, I want us to audit how we're approaching God, because it doesn't really matter to me. It does if if you're a part of that larger group of people that never give anything to the body, and you're you're expecting benefits from something, but you're not, and I'm challenging you, but I'm also challenging you this morning, even if you're faithfully giving your 10% every week, Every every month, every year, you can match it right up against your W-2 and go, yep, I gave 10%. It doesn't really matter to me the percentage you're giving. I want to audit your approach. Because I want us to come back and come, come at God like this. I don't want to see how little I can get away with. I want us to begin to approach God like this. How much can I do? How much effectively represents... And communicates my, communica- my, 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 my gratitude and my thankfulness and my dependence on God. Because for some of you, you're giving 10%, but it doesn't really show that you're thankful. So let's audit our approach. I want us to see. Maybe, maybe we, we, we see if God will make it possible for us to be even more generous in our giving. Because his word declared that I read to you that if we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. Well, the opposite is also true. If I, re- if I sow in generosity, then he says uh, you will reap in generosity because he will make it possible for you to be generous in every, on every occasion. So I'm asking you to audit your approach and come to this place where you're willing to do more, not less. In... Um, in rural India, there, it, it's all class system. It, who you are is based on which family you're, you're born into, class system. And uh, in, in the early 19th century, there was a young man that was born into a very impoverished class. He, uh, his 
family had nothing. They had no land. They had no financial security. And in fact, his parents died when he was very young. So he's on his own. He's an orphan uh, and he has no money, no ability to secure finances at all. And so because of his class, it has forced him to take this approach. He takes a, a cup and, and in his village, he is dependent completely upon the generosity of other people to help him survive. And so he would daily, he would take his cup and he would go and he would stand at different crossroads and in the markets and outside the fields and he would beg for rice and on a good day out of the generosity of others they would give him half a cup of rice or maybe he would do really well and get three quarters of a cup of rice and it would be just enough for him to eat that evening. One day he was uh, positioned outside the village hoping that somebody would be generous and th- he heard a commotion way down the road and he began to, it, it grabbed his attention, his focus went down the road and way off in the distance he saw bright colors and flags and soldiers and it suddenly began to dawn on him because behind the soldiers he saw a long line of elephants and he recognized the only one that could have this kind of wealth to have the banners and the soldiers and the elephants, it's got to be the great king. The great king who none of them had ever seen before was coming to their village. And he got excited and in his own mind he went, this is my opportunity. I've been a beggar all my life and now here comes the one that owns it all. And if I get, in, get his attention, surely he will be generous to me. Surely he will look on the, my plight and how weak and how sick I am and how hungry I am and he'll bless me. And so he begins to run and he, he runs and he gets in the front of a gathering crowd and he positions himself so that this parade of wealth will go right by him. And sure enough, because he thought quickly, he was the first one. He was right there in the front and the soldiers go by and the banners go by. And when the first elephant gets there, he begins to yell, King, King, King. Hey, help me, help me, help me. And all of a sudden, he hears a command over all the noise. Stop the elephants. The elephant stops. And it kneels. And the king gets off. He begins to yell out, King, notice me, King. Hey, King, I need your help. And sure enough, fortune would have it that the king noticed the beggar. The beggar's standing there with his cup out and he's so excited because he knows this is his payday. This is the day I'm going to get rich. And the king approaches him and he asks him this question. How much rice do you have? And the question took the the beggar back. He couldn't believe it. Here's the king. He owns everything. He's got more rice than I ever dreamed of. And he's asking me how much rice I had, I was hoping to get like more than I'd ever been given in one offering, one benevolent offering. Than I've, and he wants to know, and it took him back, and he struggles to think. And so finally he says, Your Highness, this is all the rice I have. I have a half a cup of rice. And the king looks at him and says, Can I have it all? And the beggar starts thinking. This is all I have. This is every grain of rice I have to my name. And if I give the king all my rice, I will not be able to eat tonight. I will go hungry. And so this was his response. This is all the rice I have to my name. I suppose you could have half of it. Without saying a word, the king reaches out, takes his cup, turns his back on the beggar, opens the bag of a servant, and pours the rice, half the rice into the bag, turns and hands the cup back to the beggar, and without ever saying a word, gets back on his elephants and departs. And the beggar's devastated. 
And he's so mad. With his head down and dejected, he begins to think, what did I do wrong? This, I've missed my one opportunity. The king's never come to our village. He's liable never to come again. This was my one opportunity. If I, if, if, what should I have done differently? I, I, I've wasted the opportunity. And finally, in dejection, he looks down into his cup to see how much he has left to see if it's even enough for a meal. And his jaw drops to the ground because he looks and for every grain of rice that the king had taken, he'd replaced it with a gold nugget. And all of a sudden, he yells, what if I'd given him everything? My question to you this morning is not, have you given him 10%? My question is, is that every time he brings this stuff that we put our life into and that we give our life for. And every time it crosses our bank account into our checkbooks, are we wrestling with God and grudgingly saying, well, here's your measly one dollar? Or do we come to the place the beggar came to a realization that really the king owns it all and I should just willingly lay it all down? And knowing that when I do, Well, my question for you this morning is, have you audited your approach? Do you willingly give or do you grudgingly give? Are you like the beggar who tries to hold back and in the end loses it all almost, it seems like? Or are you willing to lay it all at his feet and say, you know what, God? I trust you. And your word says... That if I will sow, I will reap. Audit your approach. Father, this morning I pray that you would help us. I'm asking, Father, for you to do this. I'm asking for you to dig down deep inside of each of us. And regardless if we've been faithful to the penny... At 10%. Maybe for all of our lives. Like I was. Like I was. Father you know I was taught at a very. As soon as I earned my first dollar. I was given a dime. I, I was instructed. I was, my parents modeled that for me. That I should take a dime out of every dollar. A dollar out of every ten. Ten out of every hundred. A hundred out of every thousand. And the first thing I should do is I should give it. But even if we've been faithful all of our life. We've given 10%. Even if our giving statement at the end of each year verifies that we've been faithful to 10% on the penny, or maybe we're sitting here today, Father, and we haven't given you anything because we're not sure we can trust you. We thought we might be able to make it better on our own. And I'm asking you to help all of us Help everyone here to audit our approach. Help us, I pray, come to this place where we trust you. Trust you. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.